An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. I, on the other hand, am a finished product. I absorb electrical energy directly and utilize it within an almost 100% efficiency. I am composed of strong metal, am continuously conscious, and can stand extremes of environment easily. These are facts which, with the self-evident proposition that no being can create another being superior to itself, smashes your silly hypothesis to nothing. Anyone? Anyone? Can anybody tell me... Where that quote is from. Now, I, I will say, I, I, I should say that the author of that, that thing that I just, I just read uh, would probably, uh, were he around today, which he's not, but if he were, um, he'd probably resent me reading it in that, uh, that robot-like, um, uh, it wasn't a robot voice, but that robot cadence, I guess you could say. Uh, however, uh, I felt like reading it that way, and so I did. Now, any guesses? Uh, I'm going to give you hints. Uh, the, the, it's, it's from a book. Um, and technically, it's a, well, it's a, it's a, what do you call those things where it's a novel that's made up of a bunch of short stories? Anyway, there's a word for that, but it's one of those. It was written many decades ago. Um, and let's see, what else can I say? Oh, well, uh, the, the title of this book uh, might make you think of a vacuum cleaner company uh, because. Because <laughs> there is one with, uh, I guess, the same name uh, with some slightly different uh, punctuation. Uh, there's also there was also a movie made. I, I think the movie wasn't really so much. I think I think the the book served as a premise for the movie, but I'm not sure how how much they really correlated. And the movie was with uh, with uh, Will Smith and uh, a little bit dystopian, as you might guess from from the quote. In fact, if you go back and you listen to that again, it is a little bit disturbing. Uh, anyway, the, the title of the book, uh, as you've probably worked out by now, is I, Robot. That's I, comma, Robot, uh, not I, Robot, like the vacuum cleaner company. And it was written by... Um, uh, his, his name just left my brain for a moment there by Isaac Asimov. And what, what brings me, um, what brings me to Isaac Asimov today? Uh, besides the fact that I know what you're thinking, you're thinking that I've been hung up on robots lately and it's not just, it's not just robots. It's, it's this whole concept of automation in the industry, which by the way, is not new to this industry by any stretch of the imagination. And you're going to hear about that today on today's show. But, um, but as we get more and more down the road with all of this automation, whether it's robots or drones or AI and machine learning, like all of these things, um, I think I think there's a lot to talk about. And in fact, uh, if you listened or if you watched, if you watched last week's episode of OGGN Unscripted, the new uh, monthly live stream uh, TV show, as it were, um, which which by the way, it really is live. Uh, it's not it's not like when they 
when people pre-record stuff and then they just stream it live, but it's actually live. It's it's happening when you watch it. And and by the way, if you missed it, you can still watch it now. You just go to our LinkedIn uh, events and you you can find it. It's not it's not as good as watching it live, but you can, but uh, it's still better than not watching it at all. And in our in our episode last week, we had uh, Dan Alford, the robot guy, uh, who I think it was uh, last week's uh, oil and gas tech show or maybe the one before, where we were out at Dan's robot factory and uh, we had. A tour with he and Johnny. There's a there's a there's a bonus video that you can watch in addition to listening to to the show. And we also had on unscripted last week uh, Ration Toolsy, who is sort of an OGGN fan favorite. And both of these guys uh, have a lot of knowledge and a lot of passion um, and a lot of uh, just interesting things to say about this world of automation, whether it be robots or AI or drones or what have you. And that actually is how I came around to Asimov for uh, for this show, coming full circle to that creepy thing that I read at the beginning uh, from iRobot, because we got into that with Dan and Ration last week on Unscripted, Kayla and I, and we talked about Asimov's rules for robots, which are also uh, from the same book, and some of the... Um, ethical and moral dilemmas that arise with such things. So I don't want to give too much away about that. We did have a good conversation about w- w- what exactly is the impact on jobs and 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 let's not gloss over that because some people are worried. Uh, so, so go check out Unscripted for that. Today, we're going to hear on today's episode, which by the way, speaking of today's episode, welcome to the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network, which is the biggest and the best and all of that for for the oil and energy industry. And I'm happy today to announce that we have a, we're working with a new sponsor partner um, here at OGGN and the company, and I'm, I'm always excited when I get to be the one to announce a new one. So the company is mCloud, mCloud. Now don't, don't be confused. It's not McCloud like that, you know, that (laughs) <laughs> that TV show movie thing from from the seventies with uh, Marshall Sam McCloud. This is not that. This is although they are they are they are from the West Coast, and uh, M Cloud is a uh, it's a, they're a West Coast software company, and they have landed in Houston, and they are doing some great things for oil and gas here in Houston, especially uh, related to uh, connected worker and asset management. In fact, um, uh, let's see, this is early April, or I guess this is mid April. I think. We're in mid-April now, but but first week of May, uh, mCloud is going to be at, uh, there's a Connected Worker Conference here in Houston. Uh, I forget who's putting it on, but anyway, it's a Connected Worker Conference, first week of May. mCloud is going to be there in force. They're going to be showing some really cool stuff, you know, the headgear and the cloud data. Just, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to give it away. Just go to the event and you'll see it. Also, they're having a launch party for uh, for this new product. Uh, I think it's I think it's the first night of the event, May third, something like that. And uh, and if you go to the launch party, you actually might be able to put on the headgear and do some of the cool stuff. Um, so mCloud is uh, is a new sponsor. They're sponsoring this particular episode. And uh, by the way, they're also hiring. So, uh, you know, kind of going along, they just opened up this whole new ESG digital transformation hub here in Houston, focused on oil and gas. They're hiring uh, in, I think, all positions. And so uh, go to the website, mcloudcorp.com, mcloudcorp.com, and you can find out all about it. But thanks to those guys, and uh, welcome aboard here at OGGN. Now, let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah. Automation, we unscripted, we had Dan, 
and Ration. And today, today we're going to um, look at uh, automation again uh, because it's where it's at, uh, but from a different perspective. And this is a guy who has been around the industry for a long time and is particularly focused on. Well, he's going to tell some stories about about automation before before it was a, a big topic in digital transformation and kind of how we got from from the early stages of it to where we are today and some of the fantastic things that are uh, that are being done out there in the field right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGG and welcome to Asim Wahid. And here we are today. We're at uh, back, back out at Arc Specialties, uh, the the fantastic robot factory where uh, I believe it was last week's episode. I think it was last week's episode where I had Dan and Johnny, and we and we also did a video tour. I forgot to mention that we did a video tour last week, um, and so we're here. Uh, and so they graciously invited invited me to come back and, and and use their clubhouse whenever I want. And so today I'm here with Asim. I forgot Wahid. Wahid, yeah, yeah. awesome Wahid. That's <laughs> we, true. Awesome. So, so awesome, and I've been sitting here chatting for a while, and I forgot to like re- make sure that I know your name and all of that sort of stuff. But this is a, this is our second time to get together because the first time is difficult enough remembering. So yeah. I, I, I take no offense awesome. if you forget the. Well, I remember awesome. One. <laughs> so so awesome. Awesome was on a panel uh, on one of the OGGN uh, panels. When was that? That was was that like. January? Almost, yeah, I was going to say almost two months ago. Now. Yeah, yeah. I think it was early January. January, right? And yeah. so you were on the one of the panels for our mixers, and that was when you... Uh, you know, that was, that was the first time I came over there, and I really enjoyed it. So that yeah, was a good th- panel. Yeah, it was, I, I was, was an excellent to be panel. on it. Yeah. It was a really good panel. Who else? Well, that was... Um, was that the one John Gibson was on? No, no, no. That was... Uh, so some guys from HPE were there, and they did an excellent job there. Yeah. They sponsored that particular uh, event. Right, right. So oh, was really good. Yeah, well yeah that was a good one. That yeah. was a good one. So anyway, so, we, so we're catching up, and we're going to do... Today, we're going to talk about... Um, I, I don't know. We haven't really, we haven't really planned out what we're going to talk about. But first, a uh, little bit about you. So you're coming over from our friends at Technip FMC, right? And uh, and you guys really are friends because you 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 sponsor uh, you, you sponsor podcasts for OGGN. Um, you guys uh, you sponsored um, the women's uh, mixer that we did in March. I don't, I don't know if you, you, you maybe I don't know all that. of that, but I do remember. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me that we do <laughs> we do sponsor many of OGGN yeah. events. So yes. We are friends. So yeah. I am the director for uh, software and automation within the MPS department and Technip FMC. Uh, prior to that, I was with a company called Sensia, which was a joint venture between Schlumberger and Rockwell. Right, right. I was moved into that uh, company uh, from, from Rockwell, Rockwell right? yeah, yeah, which yeah. is where I was for a couple of years uh, as uh, one of the... Um, Sales support team, you could say. Weird name, but I'm just going to explain it that way. No, no, and, no that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah and yeah. prior to that, I ran a system integration company called Intech for about 10 years in Houston. Okay. I grew that company from about maybe 13 people to about 400 people. I helped grow it, I should yeah, say. Yeah, you were, yeah, yeah. So, so you weren't a founder, but you... No, you, I wasn't you, the founder. I ran early. it for somebody else. Yeah, and... Uh, 
and you haven't decided to do that again, I see. So, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been, in, I've kind of been in that same spot and I'm also not doing it again right anytime soon because it, it wears you out. It's, it's, a, it's, a, you know what it, it does. And I'm not there yet for various reasons, but that's on my mind. So one of these it? days, who knows? Uh, maybe out there starting up another company. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's, it's certainly when it comes to, um, automation in uh, industry automation and process i mean you, you, it's all the you, you've been at all the usual suspects right i think the only one that maybe maybe will, well there's probably a couple that, that that you haven't that you haven't been at but um but it's a good well-rounded uh perspective how did you get into i think i remember seeing that you started out uh like you're a double e i think right i'm actually school. a double e that yeah, is true i remember yes. i remember seeing that so. so i started off as double e and it turns out that a lot of the people who get into the control system domain they come either as an electrical engineer double e's or they come as process engineers and some oh, yeah. mechatronic sure. engineers also. Because that's kind of where the two come together, right? That's where yeah. the two come together, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So I came in as an EE and very quickly became an instrument engineer and from that became a control system engineer and there it was. Yeah. So that's how it started off. And then slowly over time uh, with that system integration company that I mentioned, it allowed me the opportunity to work with just not one piece of hardware, but multiple pieces of hardware. So whether right. it was a PLC like Rockwell or a DCS or whatnot, uh, it allowed me the opportunity to touch each and every type of different instrument. Yeah. So yeah. the company itself didn't have a product, but it gave me the breadth and the knowledge of working with different kind of hardware. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna assume that you're an expert. <laughs> it, I wouldn't say that, but I know a little bit about a few I, things. You're the you're the most expert in the room at this moment. All right. <laughs> so um, so how do you? So one of the things that I love to do on the show, because um, uh, we talk about. You know, technology in the oil and gas industry, uh, or or energy, whatever whatever we're calling it these days, and um, and the tendency is always to want to talk about like the cool new stuff, whatever mm -hmm. everybody's doing. Um, there's two problems with that. One is with only talking about the cool new stuff. One is there's only ever so much of it, and you sort of run out of things to, to talk about. <laughs> the second is you kind of lose perspective sometimes. I think the industry has some amazing history related to tech. Like we didn't just start doing technology. We didn't, you know, it, it, we didn't just start doing digital technology when they started calling it digital. We didn't, you know, we 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 have a history of innovation. And anyway, I like to talk about that on the show a lot. But um, also, I'm kind of a history buff. Mm -hmm. But so coming from, um, so before we talk, and we are going to talk about the latest and greatest and the cool stuff. But but what's your perspective? Just since you since you I, let's see if I add up those years that you said that's. 20 something years a little right? over 20 years 25 over, approximately now yeah. so how does it um and and lo and behold 20 something years ago we did have automation we did, we did. yes and so how does it you know how did it look then kind of compared to how it, do a little then and now kind of uh, comparison that's a very interesting question i never thought of it that way but let me go back further back from when uh, i came into the industry right? by all means yeah. so we did have automation maybe even 25 years before i joined which is let's say about 50 years from now right Right. But it was very simple, right? Relays, uh, simple right. single loop controllers, etc. As technology developed, everything got into a single controller and the controller could do a lot of things like control digital stuff as well as control analog stuff. Mm -hmm. That's when PLCs became really powerful, when DCSs came in and things started to become really, really easy. Okay, so in let's, my let's pause on the acronyms for a second, just for those for, who aren't in this part of the industry, yes. PLCs and DCSs. <laughs> you know, so uh, th this gets more tricky than it needs to be. But PLC, long time ago, this is really long, long time ago, maybe about 35, 40 years ago, 
DCSs were the distributed control systems. Right. They were control systems, but they were more tuned towards uh, controlling analog stuff. But analog, I mean a signal going up and down. So let's say a very, very simple example. If the um, level in a tank starts to go up, yeah. uh, you want to open up a valve, and you want to open it only enough that the volume coming in and volume going out is exactly the same. So the level of the tank remains exactly where it is. So this ah. would be considered analog control because you could take it up by a, an inch or half an inch or a quarter of an inch, whatever, right? Right, right. So that would be considered... Uh, analog control. DCSs for distributed control systems were really good at that. On the other hand, there was what is called discrete control, which is just uh. turning it on and off. And an example would be that, let's say the same tank, but based on level, you want to turn on a pump or off a pump. It gets to a certain level and you say, oh, it's too high. Let's open up a pump, open up a pump, drain mm-hmm. some of it. Yeah, yeah. You start a pump and then when the level goes down to a second stage, you want to say, no, I just want to stop. And you just stop the pump. So that would be considered discrete control. So, but you can't call it a discrete control system because then it would also be DCS. <laughs> no, that that was distributed. Remember, I know, but but you can't have the same acronym for both things. You, so no, exactly the point. So there <laughs> so, came yeah. a time when, as yeah. these things progressed, yeah. both of them really kind of overlapped the uh, expertise of the yeah, other. Yeah. And uh, about twenty twenty five years ago. Both PLC, PLCs and DCSs could do exactly the same thing that the other could do, with very, very minor differences. In my opinion, and not everybody agrees with me, I think really the difference now is marketing, how the DCS uh. companies wanted to market it as DCS company, and the PLCs want to market it as PLC. Yeah. PLCs. Yeah. The capability is exactly the, the same. same. Actually, interestingly enough, the main difference really is the software layer that works on top of the hardware. Huh. And the main difference lies between how the software works on a DCS, which integrates the hardware and pieces of hardware slightly better, versus a PLC allows more flexibility to a programmer. Gotcha. A good programmer can work on a DCS and produce almost exactly the same thing as a PLC. Interesting. PLC, by the way, is programmable logic controller. Programmable, yeah, right, right. What does it mean? Really nothing. It yeah, was a controller that had logic <laughs> running in it. And if you that have and, and logic that can't be programmed isn't you know it's hard to find work for that. So uh, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so so yeah, uh, like I said, a good programmer could do whatever it whatever you want yeah, on yeah, either one yeah. of the two systems. Yeah. And by the way, just for uh, for the uh, for the gra- grammar fanatics out there, I know that I did say acronyms, and when in fact what we are discussing here are abbreviations. There you go. because yeah. an acronym technically is when you can pronounce the abbreviation That's as a word, yeah. right? So These two words, by the way, PLC Don't try DCS to pronounce as DCS so- as a word because that we're not allowed to say that on this yeah. show. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> These two words are so common in the control market yeah. automation world that they are almost used as not abbreviations, but really words. Words. They're, so they're acronyms like words. could almost uh, be correct. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's that's a good point. Okay, so uh, before I derailed you on uh, what are the what are these things you were saying <clears throat> you were saying about how. Uh, it used to be the, the the main difference between then and now. Actually, I don't remember where. where can you can, can we back, get back to what was the <laughs> point for, you were going to make? Go further out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- this was from way back to where we were when I joined. When I joined, DCSs and PLCs again, very similar things uh, were in place. They were automating almost all oil and gas facilities in the U.S. So going back twenty five years, we still consider oil and gas 
to be fairly conservative in the sense that they want to stick with what they currently have and they don't want to change very quickly. If it ain't quickly. broke, don't fix it. it yeah, if it, yeah, broke, yeah, right, it right. broke, don't fix it, absolutely. And a new thing is just too risky. So they want to just stick that's, with what they true. have. That's true, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we did have control system at that time, whether it was a PLC or DCS or whatever else there may be. There were other different kind of control systems, but they existed. So purely from the control and automation perspective, are we any better than we were 20 years ago? Not really. <laughs> we're almost exactly there. No, no seriously. That's perfect. There, <laughs> there are new layers of automation, etc., yeah, that have yeah. been put on the basic automation. But, uh, and the automation has become a little bit more elaborate than what it was then. But nothing really new on it. Nothing really new. So yeah. no, nobody can go and say, wow, this automation system is so wonderful. I've never seen anything like this. Or it wasn't available 10 years ago. Because you're opening a valve or you're closing a valve or what have you. Essentially, right? it's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. And the thing is that the process that's actually running on those oil and gas facilities hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah. It's the same process. Some three-phase oil gas comes in and you have to split it up and then take care of it. Right. Not very complex. Yeah, it's not. Uh, so it hasn't yeah. changed a whole it hasn't lot. It hasn't changed a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to wrap this episode up. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, 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 I do know that uh, in um, perhaps maybe I, I, I could throw out a, a, a curveball. A, 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 no, no, uh, <laughs> just a, a possibility. Um, maybe what? So the the functioning of the control systems is more or less the same, but what about our ability? to kind of manage those processes end to end, learn from them, improve them, um, or even just how to operate these things without having so many people, because these are the things that come up, that come up, have come up on the show a lot the last couple of years where people talk, it's, it's funny because what you said is true. Nobody has come on this show and said, we invented a better way to open and close a valve, right? Like it's that, that hasn't yeah, changed. Has but what people have talked a lot about is uh, sort of all the surrounding things, either, either related to operating the process more efficiently, operating it more safely, or operating it in some way that provides us with intelligence about how to design it better in the future, how to operate it better in the future. So is that... That's a very good point. And I think this is where we are going and this is where we are. And that's the main difference from where it was to where we are going, right? So the basic control, like we said, hasn't changed a whole lot. What has been happening is that once that basic control is done, what else can we do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So previously, again, there was something called APC for advanced process control, which was beyond some basic control. It picked data from various... Um, sensors and try to do a little bit beyond what simple controls could do. And by that I mean that it, controls operates mainly on real, real-time real data. There is a pressure, there is a level, there is a pump. On the pressure that I read now and the level I read now, should I start the pump now or should I stop it or close the valve or whatever? All real-time data as, as it exists right now. Right. APC and a lot of other things that we're going to talk about go beyond that. They say Based on this value that I see of the pressure now, and based on how it has been behaving the past couple of hours or days or whatever the case may be, and how it correlates with this other pressure and the other level and flow, Mm. what else can I do to control that valve better or that motor better, etc.? So that was one level of optimization that was being done then and still being done right now. But that was advanced process control APC. And that was how long ago did we start doing that? That was still happening about 30 years ago, maybe 25 oh, yeah, years okay. ago. It was definitely in place and still. So that whole, up. yeah. So, so that's still pretty Which is old, basically, it, it, which is the fundamental philosophy that's kind of under the underpinnings of 
what we now call digital transformation is kind of based on that same thinking. You could right? say that was very, very basics of the digital yeah, transformation. Yeah, like it wasn't really transformation per se, but it was making use of some of that, yeah. those similar concepts. If right, you know. right. So over time, what happened, and a lot of people who have been in control system, they probably have heard this and know this, historians started to come in. What the historian uh, yeah. did, it said, yeah, we, if we had more data from the history of the plant, then we would be able to do some more, something extra. Right. Because the real-time data was just that, what's happening now. Right. The very next second, the previous data was gone. Right. The historian did something interesting, uh, right, very, right. very simple, but very interesting. It started to log all the data. Right. So even if you came in a year down the road from that time, you could say, show me the data, the data as it was a year ago. And you could pull all of that data and see what was the situation of the facility at that particular time. That concept is growing now. So people are saying, if we have the data, and if we know how the plant works, can we not marry the physics and the facility and the data that, that we have in some form or fashion and literally understand how to operate the plant without having the plant really in place? Yeah. And let me take that further. So if we take the data from the facility and somehow find a way to simulate the plant in a piece of computer, right? then we don't really need the plant anymore. We can build that model off of the data and off of the physics right. and create what's called the digital twin. Yeah. So the digital twin so idea has started to sound very. It sounds familiar. Like if we can just program, if we can just create software that, that uh, presents the right signals to the brain for experience that we don't need the body anymore. It can just be in a pod producing power for the you machines, know, right? There you go, exactly. <laughs> so the matrix effect is what's it's, it's, pushing the digital yeah, twin. It's exactly, almost exactly that. You don't really need the thing. So, um, right, and of course we talk about digital twins a lot. The interesting thing I think about digital twins, because um, we've... Um, well, okay, so let me let me say this differently. It seems like, um, um, and and for those you know the faithful listeners following all at home, they're going, "Oh, wait, not another digital twin episode," because it keeps because we keep talking about it. But but what's interesting is the reason why we keep talking about it is because we've moved beyond the the point of. Uh, trying to ever get everybody to understand like what a digital twin is, or agree what it is, or not make fun of it when we when we talk about it, <laughs> or not roll their eyes, or you know, you know, um, like we're beyond that. But now they just keep, and I've said this before, they keep popping up everywhere in the industry. Like people are finding to so so what you just just, just described in the abstract. I know, you, well, actually you didn't describe it in the abstract. You you described it in the context of process controls. But if you abstract that, you know, like if we can like what I did with the matrix, right? If we can create like the world without the thing, then we can operate without the thing. Um, like that's happening everywhere in the industry. Like, like it, upstream, midstream, downstream, it's happening. It's happening on uh, the folks at Valadir are doing it on, on, on pipelines to predict when the, when the, when they're not going to get the right products, you know, flowing through. Uh, I know you guys are doing it in, in the process control world. We mm -hmm. see it happen. It's happening in exploration. Like, like uh, it's even happening in like, automated contracts for supply chain management. And uh, the folks at uh, Kongsberg and Data Gumbo are doing that. So all of a sudden, digital twins uh, everywhere. Like, like everybody's finding a way to use that same concept that you just described. So Mike, I, I'm a strong believer in what digital twin can do. Yeah. And we've already seen a lot of the company names that right, you've right. mentioned, and we actually also have done it. It's, it's definitely useful. My take on this is that it's not catching 
uh, as quickly as it should have, given that oh, really? it is okay. really, okay. really okay. useful for multiple reasons, I, hmm. I think. One of the main reasons is I think a lot of people misuse a digital twin. Oh, yeah. So okay. yeah. To, to me, and a real digital twin is exactly what you said. The simulation of the real facility running on a piece of computer and running uh, with such high fidelity that you can take data from it mm-hmm. and base decisions off of it and then apply it to the real facility. Right, right. This is a real digital twin that really will help. With or without the visualization, right? With a, actually, yeah. visualization is needed just because humans have to finally see right. it. But it's not really needed. Well, it's if you kind can of just a, pull yeah. the data out, that's right, all we need. Right, really, right. the data is what we need. And then any inferences or uh, uh, improvements off of it. That, that's a real digital twin. I think a lot of the players in the market, they're using digital twin in many different ways. And I think that's causing a little bit okay, of confusion. Okay, so let's, um, yeah, so like what for you? So very, very basic stuff that I've seen. You don't have to name any names, but... Uh, yeah, no, 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 not using any names. I will but, figure out who they are. Though, <laughs> I'll make it even more abstract so you cannot... <laughs> so there are companies out there who would simply take an HMI screen and say that's a digital twin. An HMI take, screen, take a, for example... Like a what screen? Yeah, so HMI is human-machine interface. So going okay. back to the control system um, period when the basic control system was all you had, the control system could do whatever it needed to do without any operator necessarily looking at it. But operators do need to look at stuff so that they're comfortable and they can intervene when needed. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there was a screen that showed how the plant was working, and that was called a human-machine interface. Got it. Now it's called a human-computer in- interface also. Yeah. HCI is becoming more popular. But that screen had... Uh, a picture of the facility because the some machines don't want us to know that they're really they're back there, there. you go right? we, yeah. we don't know yeah and <laughs> there, there's another history behind it but I'll, I won't go there uh, it used, used to be called um, uh, man machine interface for MMI oh, yeah. 30 well, years ago and then somebody good. said man man uh, man machine what do you mean by that so then we said okay it's for women also so let's call it human machine interface <laughs> that has evolved into human computer interface yeah. but HMI is still right, used right I got you anyways going back so HMI screen still used to show the data on the screen. So it was uh, a picture of the facility as it was running, showing live data. Okay, right. So in a way, it did replicate what was happening out there in the facility. But you can't r- run a simulation and get... But there was no simulation uh, uh, right, there, right? right? So that yeah. is a big difference. And I've seen some companies yeah. who have some very basic stuff. They call just that display, in a nice fashion, the digital twin. It's not a digital twin. Yeah, I think or, that is causing confusion. Or, for example, I know that there was a lot of digital twin, a lot of things labeled digital twin a few years ago, which were really um, so. Okay, so see what you think about this. So, a facility, let's say a topside facility that uh, I have I, I've modeled with the data right down to like this bolt mm-hmm. has this number stamped on the head of the bolts and with, okay and <laughs> hopefully not that but okay <laughs> and and with and with the visualization uh platform mm-hmm. i can sort of like vid- in like kind of like in video game mode right i can i can zoom around the facility and see uh you know a, a part and uh and like zoom in on that and get like uh, the PID information and stuff like that, right? For that thing, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really simulating any operation. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm simulating myself walking around the actual facility. Uh, That's but, true, right? But, so when digital so twin, does that count or does that not count? No. So the digital twin is really the simulation of the process okay. producing the same data that yeah. the process would have produced. Got you. Anything that we put on top of it, such as visualization, has definitely benefits. 
Right. But it's not really necessarily a part of the digital twin. So let's say if I had a process, the upstream facility, without the nuts and bolts, without necessarily saying what is the manufacturer of a particular valve, et cetera, et cetera, but it produces all the data about how much flow, how much pressure, temperature, and what vessel Mm -hmm. to exact uh, levels as this real facility, and it's producing that data and dumping it somewhere, that's a digital twin. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I can choose to put a There are people who would argue with you about this, though. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. These things are still a little bit amorphous right now, right? right so everybody right. has their own right. life. From the very basic one that I mentioned, similar to an HMI, to very elaborate, yeah. where you can say, no, no, you have to have the 3D visual plant also that you can walk through. Only then it becomes a 3D full uh, digital twin. Yeah. Between it's... that whole domain, people can come. And my view is that if you're getting data, mm-hmm. that, to me, completes a digital twin, uh, like I was saying, the, what you mentioned, the 3D uh, visualization of the facility is yeah. very useful for different reasons, such as operator training. Sure. Absolutely wonderful. Right. It's a beautiful tool, by the way. I, I think it, it should be used. Yeah. But yeah. that's not necessarily a digital twin. I say that because you can separate out the two. Yeah. You can have a facility and have operators go yeah, and do yeah, mechanical yeah, stuff yeah, without yeah. necessarily simulating the process. Yeah. And it still will you. work as a good operator training I, simulator. Yeah, I can... I, I I can see that I can I can go and certainly, um, well okay so I think now it's possible I don't remember but the panel that you were on for OGGN for the mixer was George Danner there on that panel I think George was there I think George was there yes. yeah George was there so George he has had, a lot of experience yeah he George George he is great I love talking to George yeah. so his whole career has been. Um, so, so he describes himself as a simple mathematician, mm-hmm. right? And as a simple mathematician, he has advised you know, like like large corporate executives on decisions and directional, sort of like directional decisions or how to solve really large complex problems, all of which he approaches through uh, kind of from the, the angle of uh, mathematical models. Like if you can... If you can get, if you can measure certain things, and you can create a model, then you mm-hmm. can, which is essentially. Um, and so George will tell you when he talks about digital twins, he he'll say, "Well, we used to call them models, and now we call them digital twins." <laughs> <laughs> um, at least in, he would be right. It, in many right? ways, it, at least it, you know, maybe not in the implementation, but at least in terms of sort of the function and the purpose. Yeah. So, um, uh, and that's kind of what you're what you're getting at, which is. Um, um, that and and maybe maybe we need a different word, uh, but um, but that's that's the thing that you're describing, right? Is like George has done things where uh, you have to figure out how to optimize certain processes, um, global sort of like logistical processes, mm-hmm. right, or log- logistical flows, and you do that like, and they build this very elaborate mathematical model and then they run it you know a thousand different ways and they come up with conclusions about what works better and what doesn't work better and if you do it like so, this it solves all these problems that's so that's what it, you're getting at so right? essentially it's the exact yeah. same concept yeah it's a model of some sort whatever mathematical physical etc etc converted into mathematical that's exactly it. I, I think that the difference would be since I'm on a roll um, uh, is that whereas what he did traditionally with models, what you did was you had a particular problem that you're trying to solve, 
And so you went off over here in a separate space and you built a model to, that was as accurate as possible and you did all of your modeling and you came out with a set of conclusions and then you came back with those conclusions to whoever's in charge of the real thing and you said, here's what you ought to do, right? Whereas with the digital twin, what we've done is actually like, it's more like integrated into the continuous operation of whatever the thing is, right? Like it, it's sort of... Or it sits closer. So, it sits closer. It's it's a continu- It's not a one-off problem solve. It's a continuous. Right, right. So by integrating the operation, I don't mean like physically integrated, but I mean like it's it's it, it's now sort of part of always life. available. Right. right. It's, it's just, live always. There. Right. It's there. So th- th- that's it's true. live. Right. And yeah. one of the big differences I think between that model that we mentioned and that used to exist many years ago also, and the new digital twin is that there is a tighter. Um, collaboration between the two and by that I mean mm-hmm. that now because sensors have become so cheap and competition power has become so cheap you can put more sensors on your facility mm-hmm. if you had literally one level transmitter now you can have five level transmitters easily on that facility mm-hmm. and you can bring all of that data and feed it into the di- digital twin so now this twin can actually become more and more accurate yeah. which previously wasn't possible and you can add like machine learning and stuff to so it keeps getting smarter as it it keeps gets, getting smarter right, yeah, because yeah. once you have this data that's more tightly controlled you, you can Correct it as it goes on, because it, let's say it runs and one of the five-level transmitters is now off. It'll feed the or get the data from the right. real, fix itself, so now it's yeah. better tuned towards reality. Right, right. So, like you were saying, it's now real time, so to speak, in yeah. the sense that it is more in sync. Or with live. The you said live. I think live is a good word, right? Live, like live it's, is a good it's word. It's kind of also. like it's kind of living, whether it's real time or not. It's sort of living and developing along with the living, but it, importantly, in sync also, because yes. it could be living, but independent of it, but it's not. <laughs> right. It's no, no, living no. and in completely yeah, in yeah. sync with it, yeah. and updating itself as appropriate and as needed, right, based right. on what's happening in the real world. Right. Right. And we can then use because it becomes so much a high-fidelity model of the real thing that we can now develop much more accurate and closer models, closer meaning tighter uh, fidelity models that we can take them back to the facility and apply it there without too many... uh, issues. Yeah, well, and and it's logical in the sense that... um, if I were to, if I were to, if the model uh, is helping me to get smarter and make better decisions or optimize the process or whatever it is, then now my now my regular state has changed. Mm-hmm. But I still, but but I want the model to continue to help me to improve. But of course, but yeah. the model needs to it, update it, itself it's too. Not, right, otherwise, it's, otherwise yeah, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, otherwise, it's uh, it's behind. So, all right, this is an excellent uh, kind of philosophical discussion. What um, if we, uh, so embracing this approach, which you said, you think that um, after I said digital twins are everywhere, you very <laughs> gently said, well, actually, they're not everywhere. <laughs> so some of the things that they haven't uh, been accepted as much. Yeah, like a lot, like the digital twin label is everywhere. Yes. But, but in this sense, it's not. Um, if we if we got it in more places, the way that we've been sitting here talking about it for the last few minutes, what what do you think would be, uh, what would be the impact on the industry? You know, humongous. Yeah. Humongous, and I say that because uh, once you have a huge, digital twin, it would be huge. Yes, yeah. absolutely <laughs> huge, huge. <laughs> because once you have this model that's sitting somewhere and you don't mind destroying it or making changes to it that may just break it completely. Right. Now you have a lot of 
experimentation that you can do it and extract more data from it. Yeah. You can improve efficiency, easy ones, right? Right. You can definitely improve the quality of the output from it. Uh, you can find out how to do something without any human interaction at all, right? For example, currently, um, even in facilities that are fairly automated, humans do have to come in and they have to say, no, it looks, it's okay, but I do want to start this pump now. The algorithm may have said, no, not now, but the humans do have to come in and say, no, for whatever reason that we know of, the machine doesn't know, we do have to do it. If yeah. Once you have better... Um, Modeling, and I have to go back to that word through the through the digital twin. You can improve your control mechanisms. You can improve your uh, algorithms that you can then use to control your mm-hmm, real mm-hmm. facility better. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so the impact, if you think about it, well, in I mean, we, we talk here mostly about oil and gas, but this is, this is a, like any heavy industrial. Uh, right. Anything that involves process controls, and I mean, there's this. This has used everywhere, and you say process control, yeah. but any kind of control, right? You, any kind you, of control, you, you right. mentioned logistic control. Right, right. You could use a good digital model for logistic yeah, yeah. control yeah, also. Yeah. And this is not as irrelevant because even in logistics, the sensors types will be different, but as long as you have more sensors that is that are feeding data back into the mm-hmm. digital twin, that digital twin could be anything. It doesn't have to be process, it could be literally. Right how the ship goes from here to there and how it yeah. gets loaded and offloaded. So, um, so you guys, and I know, and you, and, and we mentioned you work in the software, uh, on the software side of Technium FMC. We were chatting earlier in the hallway about how, uh, turns out, you know, you guys are a software company, right? Like you're not a software company, but there's, but we do plenty of software, too. Yes. Of software, right? Um, because software is finding its way into all of these things that, that you're doing. Um, do you like? Uh, I know you can't. Um, I know you can't tell any like stories about r- real people and companies. But, but do you see people uh, who are beginning to uh, adopt things? You know, really focus on the things that you're describing here. Um, is like, is it ha- is it happening? Are it, people? It's, it's happening actually. Yeah. So th- that transition from the level of control we were at to where we are uh-huh. going is becoming stronger and stronger, right? It's like the hockey stick um, trend. It starts slowly, and because we are the conservative oil and gas sector, it starts really slow, but once things start to happen and people can see what's happening and what benefits the new technology are bringing in, then people start to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. Once everybody starts starts doing it, then everybody starts doing it. So I think we definitely are at that uh, knee of the hockey stick where things are taking up. So we do see more and more customers trying to see where can they apply this digital twin yeah. concept and get benefits from it. So we, we have some um, tools that we take to the market and we have taken to our customers right, and right. they have been very successful. Major, majority of them have very successful and more and more customers are saying, let, let us see what Do they come have. back and say like, geez, why didn't you tell us about this sooner? Like, wow, well, how, how, how come we haven't been doing this the whole time? <laughs> it did, it did. Yeah. Like I said, it hasn't happened to me directly yeah, yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, it's because we, what we take to them is so wonderful that yeah, uh, they, they just completely they didn't know that it really they're, existed they're before. Baffled. Um, yeah, no, I think it's uh, well, it's always good, you know, especially during these times when there's a lot of uh, tech innovation going on, and everybody likes to talk about this, that, and the other, and um, you know, but oftentimes it's it's all happening. Well, another thing that happens. 
I was about to say a lot of times it's 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 happening and it's being talked about, but you always get like, is it really being done? And then the other thing that happens is, okay, it's being done, but is it getting beyond the POC, right? Like, like, <laughs> like I know that you have, I know you have it working in the lab, but has it really been deployed like at scale in a real so you, you, environment? Hey, Mike, you've touched on a very very good point. Yeah. A lot of this technology unfortunately stayed in the POC for a very long time, and yeah. many of those pieces of technology still are. Um, the uh, slowness of getting those POCs out and getting it to scale is still around. It's, it's not easy to take something out of POC and take it to the market. Not because the technology is bad or not uh, well understood, because the customers are not yet ready to take that technology. <laughs> right. we, I keep going back to customers being conservative, and they are for good reason. I, I don't blame uh, them. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Like, there's the, the, the stakes are high. There's a lot of risk when you change things. Yes. And, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. But it is funny, though, because because uh, I, I talk to people sort of from both sides of the, of the, of the fence, so to speak. So from the so op, people at operators, mm-hmm. right, at, 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 at oil companies or, you know, the operators who are really the, the uh, the the receiving side of all this stuff, right? And then you talk to people from the suppliers, yeah. which is where you guys are, right? Yeah. Or and whether it be big companies like like Technip FMC, which which are you know all the things you do, or whether it be like the smaller innovators, mm-hmm. okay. But you, this is how it always goes, and 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 I, and I love all my friends at the operators, so uh, they, they, they they so so I don't mean any harm, but. <laughs> <laughs> But, you need to say that many different ways before you are yeah, going to say whatever you're yeah, going to say. No, they know. So whenever I talk to them, so so what you'll hear from them is we are moving fast. <laughs> we're moving at light speed. We're adopting this stuff. We're pushing it out into the into the into our operations as fast as we can. We're seeing all of these benefits, right? And because uh, everybody wants to, everybody wants to be able to say that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but then when you talk to people like on the supplier side, they say, well, it's been very slow, and <laughs> and actually we haven't made our numbers for the last three years because, <laughs> because I think because part of that is I think just a matter of expectation but I, I think it's also a matter of uh, really how timelines move for somebody like us versus somebody like yeah, maybe yeah. one of the big yeah. oil and gas companies yeah sure uh, some larger companies, of course, move much slowly, even when they make a change, right? So what feels fast to them isn't necessarily, isn't necessarily feel fast, fast from our perspective, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Although that's changing it's, too, it's because a, because I have seen this where there's a lot of pressure on people who are bringing these things to the market. Where um, and I've I've actually done in some of my like kind of go to market advisory work that I do with with uh, um, companies. I've said. Like the days of the multi-year project, the ROI comes later. Like those are over, you know. You know that is so true, also, yeah. Mike. Because a lot of our customers, they, they want results like this. They they want to install something today, and get some results very very quickly. Yeah, and not just because they became the impatient results. all of a sudden. Because those are the pressures that are oh, on from them, the market. Right. right? Yeah, the, this is the Wall Street pressure from the Wall Street. The the end of quarter numbers have to look good, right? Right. And yeah, yeah. Actually, have in, to have free cash flow. Turns and out. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, so that, that that may be one of the hurdles also, and I, I think some of that is a little unfortunate as well. Yeah, I think because it puts pressure too much on now, and not now on let me yeah. t- pick up a project that will benefit me in a year or six yeah, months. Yeah, there's or no it, like people now talk in terms of like you have to show some value. It doesn't have to be like the whole thing, but you have to show some value in like 30, 60, 90 days. And right. that quickly falls to the bottom line quickly. It's it not does. like, yeah, there's something uh, you'll reap benefits right, later. Right, it right. doesn't work that yeah, way, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has to produce results very, very quickly. Yeah. So, um, 
so is 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 that possible with this sort of like how do you how do you take some of these sort of large complex things that we've been talking about and, and this will be the last thing and then we'll wrap up because I know you're uh, I, I got to get you out of here on time yeah. so uh, um, can you break it down and, so, and do, so let me respond to the first question that yeah. you asked absolutely it's possible right it just takes more effort on somebody like us to say let us cook this up so well that when we go install it to a at a customer's facility it definitely will work right. And we, we are getting there, right? Yeah. Uh, not only, always does it happen. A lot of companies do say, yeah, it's almost ready. Let's just install it and then see what yeah, happens and then right. fix it as we go on. It's a services engagement. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, but if we had everything so well done that uh, it just works every time, then things do happen. And we have some customers who have seen some good results from some of the products that we've recently right, deployed. Okay. And they like it, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, so it does work. But the breaking down that you mentioned... Um, any such technology that produces results very, very quickly, almost by design, has to be relatively simple also yeah. and be applicable on a relatively small portion of the complete right. process, whatever right. that process may be. Right, right. The bigger the process, the bigger the applicability of whatever you're doing, of course, it's going to take a little yeah, bit Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, right. So you have to compromise. If you need quick results, then you got to compromise scope. Right, for, and start for, really, really small, and start small. But then at least you prove that you know. Okay, now we can take. And that's the message that I hear over and over again from folks: is you know, start here, um, and, then, and then build on that small success. That. Right yeah. um, now, I of course, now agree. you got. But then you get the flip side, which is the the people uh, from the big the big consulting think tanks who are now criticizing that we're not we're not doing enough end to end transformation. Uh, and I have a whole I have a whole speech on that and whether it really makes sense or not. But I'm gonna I'm gonna save that for another time so uh so awesome 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 <laughs> thank you for my standard uh, joke I tell yeah, everybody. yeah it works it works well um thanks for thanks for coming over here thanks and very much uh, for having i really me. appreciate you making time maybe we could I, I feel like there's more stuff we could talk about so so maybe we'll do you know we'll we'll let a few other people talk a couple of times and then and i'll maybe be happy we'll to come, come back again and, and, chat with uh, you. and take a little a good bit chat. further all right thank you i appreciate it that is going to wrap it up for today. Thanks everybody for listening. I have to say, I've been watching the uh, OGGN download meter and this show has, uh, is, is uh, the audience is growing uh, every, every month. It looks like there's thousands more people listening than there were before. So, uh, so that's great. So thanks for telling all your friends and neighbors and relatives and, and uh, everybody about the show. Keep doing that and uh, listen to, uh, you know, check out some of the other OGGN podcasts because we got a whole bunch of really good ones. Just go to OGGN.com and you can find out all about them. Now don't listen to them there. Just go to the website and you can see our pictures and read, read interesting little things about all the hosts, but then, you know, go listen listen on your on your on your Apple podcast or your Spotify or whatever you like that way you can subscribe and you won't miss any episodes what else do I need to say I think that's it thanks again to our sponsor for this episode mcloud really looking forward to working with those guys and seeing what they're going to bring to the industry thanks as always to the OGGN crew for all the hard work most especially my audio fixer guy Mr. Mac Roman who always makes us sound fantastic. I almost forgot to say that part. Who always makes us sound fantastic. And uh, now we come to the part. I, I haven't worked out. I'm trying to, I'm working on a, a more condensed way of leading into this, to the thing at the end, which, which I know everybody loves to hear, but but you know, you know the lead up is, has gotten a little bit long. So I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to do it like this. Whenever you hear somebody say that thing that they like to say about the oil and gas industry, that is your chance to give them a little history lesson and explain to them that we were tech before tech was cool. 
Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGDN.com.